And we are back recording again because I don't even know. Are we going to keep the first intro? Maybe I'll splice it together. We got, we were well into this great, perfect flubbed up intro where I screwed up what we're going to say. We're debating whether we're going to keep the intro music or not. And Jeff's internet went out and he disappeared and now we're back. So I think we'll just go keep it this one. We'll just do the second one. But the point of the matter is let us know if you skip the intro music, just let us know and we'll skip it. Like we don't need to put that in. It's still the end of the show. So the people can just listen to it at the end. That's fine. And it happened again. You're, Am I gone again? You just froze again. Did that or now? The internet up in Alberta is not, not working tonight. So, so here's the thing is this last week I had to upgrade internet for uh, just because. And Xfinity sent me all new stuff. And so I set it up. And when it's on, it's blazing fast, like six, 700 meg. Like it is fast. Mm. But it is like this weird intermittent. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's not. It's been three or four days of this. It's been made, made working from home a nightmare. That's a really annoying. Um, but anyway, welcome to this week's episode of Give Him Hell, Brigham. It's been, Holy cow. It's been a week as evidenced by the fact that we're coming in to you a day late, but with still all of the content you love, crave, and deserve. And I think, you know, it, on one hand, this, this, I mean, what do you call it? This is like a false start is kind of a perfect illustration of how the rest of the week has been, frankly. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, yeah, that's it about sums it up. And a false start is a good way of describing it. But, you know, Jeff, it's really, I feel like this week, the off season may have peaked. Like we are already, we're on the back half of the off season. We are closer to the Arizona game than we are to the UCF, to the bowl game from last season. So we're on the downhill slope. And we're getting into the thick of the off season and it's really kind of starting to feel like a grind, right? Like it's that the yearning, I mean, the FCS championship is on this weekend, right? But it's like, who's really paying attention to that? You know, it's like, I think that was probably one of the most interesting things is I remember last year when in the fall, when it was like, oh, FCS is going to push to the spring. Is there going to be a spring season? And there were people like, maybe FCS will always go to the spring because the TV ratings will be so much better. And I've watched like a collective, maybe three quarters total of FCS football this spring. And yeah, I'm the same boat. And they've all been Weber State, right? As soon as Weber was out, I stopped caring. Right. And so I don't, you know, it kind of makes me think like, it's kind of weird. I think it's just the status of it being FCS, right? Like, I think that's the biggest knock on it and why it will never matter. Because I mean, it's like I watched the AAF when it was going. I watched the XFL and was very sad. I was dying. Like I care more about the CFL than I do about the NFL, uh, <laughs> mostly for off the field reasons of why the NFL bugs me. But the that will probably change now as you know we come into our Jets fandom. But the you know the FCS, it's like them being in the spring, it hasn't moved the needle at all. Like and it's still people don't care. The playoffs come around and then you're like, oh, okay, well there's actually some good teams here playing. So let's uh, you know let's tune it in for the, the semifinals. We'll pay attention in which there were a couple of good semifinal games last week, but the, you know, it's, it's really interesting, like how it, in, in the last year, it's just gone from, you know, maybe, maybe FCS should always be in the spring and they can get more money and like, you know, spring football, because there's already like some fandom and there's more content, whatever. 
No, I don't think spring football will ever work in this country. Like, I think yeah, it's I agree. people, they want to say like, oh yes, they love it. They will watch it year round. But at the same time, like you won't, it's just, you can only take so much of where it's like, you know, you can only dedicate so many weeks a year, which is roughly 16 in the fall where you just say, I'm going to carve out my day to only watch this. And then the rest of you just got to get crap done. Right. Like it's, you're, you're just lumping all your free time into a single thing. And it's the energy, like it's, unless there is some type of emotional connection to it, you're just not going to go through the effort that it takes. And, and that's what it is, right? It is the lack of a connection. Like the idea of football for football's sake sounds great, but I mean, how many people are, are jonesing to go watch high school football? I do because I love it, but those, those bleachers aren't full, right. On, on most Friday nights. Right. They're just not right. If, and if people, that's a really good point that if people cared about football for football's sake, more people like the arena league wouldn't have gone bankrupt. The right. every high school game outside of Texas would be sold out, which you kind of see, right? Like it's, you know, in the AAF and the XFL, it's like Birmingham, the teams in Dallas and Houston and San Antonio, like the Texas teams and the teams in the South did really well everywhere else doesn't work. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's interesting in, in the state of Utah. Now I know that you're not a Utah anymore, but a lot of our listeners, I assume are. And when you look at football in the state of Utah, we think we're big college football fans. We're not, not even a college close. football state. Not we even are close. And, and I'm not talking about like relative to the sec and like how like fanatic our fandom is, but I'm just talking like we think we're big college football fans. But no, in the state of Utah, there are really big BYU fans and there are really big Utah fans. But there aren't as many really big college football fans. Like there are a lot of, te- a lot of people who are, you know, they, they wake up, they plan their Saturdays around Utah football, around BYU football. But there aren't a lot of people in the state of Utah. I mean, and a lot is relative there aren't a lot of people in the state of Utah who are planning their Monday night in January around the national championship or around, you know, whatever bowl game is on. We're really big BYU fans, really big Utah fans of the state of Utah. We're not really big college football fans. We're not really big football fans. And that's why high school football attendance mostly suffers. Even the state finals, like you can go and watch the six, a state championship game at rice Eccles stadium. And there are, 10, 15,000 people there. Like there's never that many people there. Uh, that's probably and, been pushing it to have yeah. t- saying 10 or 15. Like we're, we're just not big football, which is, which is fine. Uh, you know, like who cares, but also it does kind of show, uh, I don't know, kind of shows the difference between where we're at and where the sec is and why people in the sec or the people of the big 12 or, or, you know, some of these big time football places, why they, don't really take us seriously. You know, I was in Ohio, Ohio year or two ago when they were playing uh, Wisconsin and the entire like Columbus greater area shut down. Everybody like highways shut down, businesses shut down, everything shut down. And the entire place, this is the capital of Ohio. The entire city was focused on Ohio state football. It's just different. Like it is not the same. 
And they knew that what was so shocking to me is I was standing in line for the bathroom at halftime. And uh, as much as I love the horseshoe, their bathroom situation at that place is a nightmare. And so we had to wait in line for a good long time. And almost everybody in line could tell you every detail about almost every team in the Big Ten that was playing that day. Like they, they knew very specifically what was going on across college football. And I'm not talking like the one or two you know, guys who were, who were standing behind me. The entire concourse. When it was halftime, they were talking about every other game. When you go to the concourse uh, at Lavella Root Stadium at halftime, you're not talking about the Oregon game. You're talking about your kids. You know, you're talking about church tomorrow morning. You're not talking about what the Ducks are doing to Washington State. But that's what was happening at Ohio State. And I don't know how we got on this topic, but it is just an interesting dichotomy that we're big BYU fans. We're big Utah fans. We're just not that big football. Like our general football fandom isn't that big. And I think that's normal. That's why you see places, you know, leagues like the AAF, the XFL, they struggle because outside of a few fanatics and a couple of states, most people, they like their team and that's about it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so when I was living in South Carolina, the radio station that I would most frequently tune into uh, was a country station and they had a four hour long on Friday afternoons from it started. It was like from two to six, they had like a four hour long high school preview show talking about yeah. every like high school thing across the whole state. And then on Saturday, the entire game, like the entire day, it was like 15 plus hours of coverage talking about Clemson on this particular station, including it was the station that, so it was just a music station, but then they had the broadcast rights to Clemson. And then on Sunday mornings, they had like preachers and gospel music on. And that was like, so the three, like that was the weekend every single week. And it's, it really is just a different world, right? Like it's, you think, you know, and I think that's a good way of putting it is people in Utah are like, they're Cougar fans, they're Ute fans, they're Aggie fans they pretend to be Weber state fans, but really care more about one of the other three and, or, but they're not just like football fans, right. In the same way, like other games, they may catch it if it's on. I mean, there's obviously there's some that are, but by and large, most people are fans of the school and not of the sport. And a lot of that, I think is just because like at other school, I mean, other schools you have, I think you probably have, you know, some uh, there, but you also have, a lot more townies. And I think the townies are the people who are, so being people who are not alumni, but just grew up in the area, I think they are more inclined to kind of be fans of the sport overall, because it's not just like, oh yeah, I went there. So I like cheering for them. And it's, you know, they have kind of, it's weird, like, because they almost have less of a connection, their appreciation is like more, right? Because it's like, they got in because they're all in, not because it's like, oh yeah, I just, you know, whatever, you know, and, and you see that even to it, like people, if you meet, I know you didn't go to BYU, but it's like at BYU, if you meet kids from Texas or like kids from Ohio, whatever, it's like, they will care more about, it's like, oh, they didn't become a BYU fan until they went to school there. But it's like, you grew up like, oh, I grew up, I was a Longhorn fan. Or like, I mean, there's, you know, we have some friends here and it's like, she's from Ohio and it's, she's like, yeah, like, and she even had like a couple relatives who played and, you know, walked on and like, you know, we're on the team at BYU back in the day. And it was like, she's like, oh yeah, like my family, we watch BYU football, but like 
you know, we're all Buckeyes. Like that's the big yeah, deal. Right. You know, and I, I wonder if it's a product of where we're at uh, here in the state of Utah that there's not a ton of national coverage because, I mean, up until Utah joined the Pac-12 and outside of the 80s, neither one of them have really been nationally relevant teams. Like, I know that sucks to say, but it's the truth. And you could make an argument now that really neither one of them are nationally relevant now. They have their little blips, like BYU had their blip last year. Maybe they'll have another blip this year. But as far as staying power on the national landscape year over year over year, neither BYU nor Utah have that kind of, of staying power. And so what happens is is the national media, the greater national media, they don't pay attention to it. And so the only media that's really talking about BYU is the local media. BYU and Utah get talked about locally, get talked about by people like us, Cougar Sports Insider, KSL, right? Like they talk a ton about BYU and Utah. And that's all they talk about because we're getting so craved for college football or for BYU content that we go to the local radio station. They talk about our college football team that nobody else is talking about anywhere else. And I listen to that. But when they start to talk about the top 25, that isn't my college football team. I tune out because I'm there to hear about BYU because I can't hear about BYU anywhere else. And so we kind of live like in this echo chamber of, we only want to hear about BYU. And I think that we, we lose the, the fun of being a college football fan. This was not on our agenda, but this, after the, uh, after the false start, after our pre-snap penalties, this was a really good transition into what is turning into a very on-brand conversation. It really is. It's very on-brand. Like, um, it's, we really kind of just went back fully into our stride. I have no idea. I mean, fully on-brand. I have no idea what these next item on the agenda is. Uh, something about pants of some sort. Are you talking yeah, about pants well, or people? I'm talking about pants. Uh, I'm talking about pants. I bought a pair of joggers, not like sweatpants, like dress pant looking joggers, like the kids are wearing. Okay. Why did I buy them? Well, because I have been going into the office a little bit more and I am so accustomed to sweatpants now that wearing a pant like a pair of pants that didn't have an elastic was just too much for me to handle so i went out and bought joggers like the gen zers are doing where did and you I get wore them, them at uh amazon they are i don't know what they are they're brooklyn brand they're real fancy stuff like 20 dollars pants i feel absolutely ridiculous in these pants but i don't know that i will ever wear another pair of khaki is you know khaki esque jeans ever really they uh, these joggers are so unbelievably comfortable I, I feel ridiculous with like the little elastics around the ankle i feel ridiculous with a drawstring on my pants there's no belt loops like i feel ridiculous but they were the most comfortable pair of pants that i have ever put on and it isn't because of the quality of the pant these are cheap pants so I think I'm getting the bottom of the barrel of the joggers. And I don't know that I can ever go back. These are like sweatpants for occasions that you need to look professional. There's a couple pants. There's a pair of pants that uh, Old Navy sells that are like a direct knockoff of um, so the Lululemon dress pants. They're mm. insanely comfortable, but they're like 
you can get them on sale same for like 25 bucks instead um and target actually too target has some new golf pants that are also extremely stretchy very very comfortable but is the is the waistband stretch uh yeah like the waist it's the fabric is the same like it's a sweatpant it's it's not it's not like like it's not like a sweatpant but it's got a little you know a little give to it yeah yeah yeah. no 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 i know about the give right like stretchy pants right whatever no i'm talking about the waistband needs to have elastic and not just like a little give from the fabric like we're talking these are sweatpants these are like go to what did i search i went to amazon and i searched for men's dress joggers and it was the one of the first um brooklyn athletics one of the first sponsored ads that came up so go to amazon men's dress joggers we're not sponsored by brooklyn athletics i don't think they're even a real brand but this is what i'm talking about these look like dress pants i mean not really they look like khakis right like they look like slacks they look like they look like sweatpants to me no in different colors like the gray the green Maybe it's I can't. It's the string in the front. Maybe well, yeah. and also in the so guy in the picture, it's got like his shirt like tucked in to show like this is a got a sweatband. Yeah, it's true. So go to the uh, go to the the reviews and look at the images on the reviews, and you'll see it. Like these pass for business casual pants. Yes, they very much do. Actually, now that I see those, yeah, definitely. I am telling you, and I am telling everybody that these are the most comfortable pants that I've ever put on. They're a little bit like scratchy. Like you can tell these are cheap pants. I don't know that I can ever go back. I have officially found a way to wear sweats to work and it is these pants. So what you're saying is anyone who's, who is an employer that is listening to this and is, you know, wondering how the return to work thing is going to go. Really what you need to do is just say, okay, we will give everyone dress sweats and then you can wear those to work and then people will be more, you know, more yeah. keen on returning to the office. Oh yeah. Like this is not, I, I, I think sometimes people feel like some of my preposterous takes are just for the show, but no, this is a hundred percent real. This is, this is me. This is authentic Jeff that these joggers have changed my life. So as is, is bizarre as Gen Z is. And I know that there's some like, maybe not quite Gen Z, but some Gen Z adjacent listeners. I'm looking at you, Joe Wheat. Like you're right there real close to the Gen Z world. And I know that you're looking at me and like, hey, joggers have always been cool. No, they haven't. They look awful. They look, but I I won't wear any pants that aren't joggers anymore. You know, back speaking of Joe Wheat, last week, you and I were supposed to go to the Bees game. It did not happen because- I'm very sorry about that. Yes, so, but- I did go end up going to the game and we had to buy four tickets because they were blocking off seats. So then we had four tickets for just the two of us. And we were like, whatever, we'll spread out. So I ended up going to the game with a friend of mine, Josh Brown, and another uh, mutual friend of ours, one Chad Burton, who mm-hmm. I know have known for a long time. Used to have season tickets with him and you served with him out of Gascar. Great guy. Love Chad Burton. Hi, Chad. So I found out in about the fifth inning that Joe Wheat, and Chad Burton live together. Uh, I learned that on Twitter once upon a time. Yeah. And that is because, and I learned that because 
Trevor's like, oh, yeah, you know, I live with Jonah. I was like, dude, we had an extra ticket. Like, what are you going to brought you up? So Chad left his apartment, drove all the way to Salt Lake. And I was like, dude, Joe could have come. I'd be fine with that. We had an extra ticket anyway. So, Joe, I'm sorry that we did not get to meet last week. And it is still, as I told you the first time I learned this, 100% Chad's fault, like most things. If you just blame things on Chad, life will work out okay for you. Oh, and that's a good rule of thumb for anything. Whether you're blaming Chad Burton or just some other generic Chad, Chad's the kind of name you blame. And yeah. we know some Chads. There's some Chads who listen to the show. You, you know who you are, and you know that we're right. It's always blame Chad. I think that might be the title of the show is just always blame Chad, ABC. Like, yeah. just remember your well, ABCs. It's a very good title to the show because, guys, there's not a lot of BYU news. Like, you're right. We are at peak off season. Most of my content on 24-7 sports, it's starting to look – forward to the future you know projecting the season looking at things like that and and we're going to get into all of that stuff but if we start like breaking down the offensive line uh like it's going to change like we we don't know who is even going to start the roster's not even done like there are still transfers that have to happen out byu's eight or nine scholarships over by my count grades just came out i'm expecting I'm at least one, maybe two or three academic casualties, kind of like how there are every year. And uh, I'm expecting BYU to add another offensive lineman. So like, we're still in that funny stage of the, of the off season where pieces are still being assembled for the future. And so it's really hard to get into the nitty gritty of what is happening on the offensive line as an example to start projecting out what's going to happen in, in September. And so we're at that funny stage where uh, if you were with us at the beginning, you know, and at the height of the pandemic and you were in the early, the infancy of give them hell, Brigham, uh, this is, this is where we take a lot of creative Liberty and we talk about whatever the hell we want. And, uh, and if we didn't do happened. this, the show would die like 100%, right? Like, well, is, do mean, you know how many, how many teams like are, podcasts have you seen there where it's like gung-ho they start it's like august like oh yeah we're gonna start a podcast covering the season whatever we love this team they get through football season they make it a little bit bit of the way their basketball season and then they're like oh we're gonna switch to every other week in the off season just because it's a little slow then that turns into every other month and the next thing you know you're yeah, getting like one kickoff episode to start the next season in august and yeah. then it just yeah. kind of dies so it's, well, and here's the thing, like there are a ton of outlets that if you guys want the to, to get into that nitty gritty, like it's out there, you can find it. I look at us and we've talked about this, I think, on the air even before. I, we're not journalists like we we get some news, you know, and we'll we'll break some news and we'll break things down and we'll do some stuff like that. We're not journalists. Like, I hope people don't think that we're journalists because never in a million years would I consider myself media anything unless i unless it benefits me with a media pass then yeah i'm absolutely media but uh we're not credentialed by byu we're not credentialed by anybody we'll apply for credentials and maybe we get lucky every once in a while but we're not media we are this is entertainment we are here to entertain and when there isn't football talk to help entertain us we turn to other things like joggers and today we can turn to and you're going to have to tell me how to say it, George Klyovkov. How'd I do? Did that spot on. There we go. 
George Klyovkov, formerly of what where was he? MGM Grand? Yes. Caesars? I can't remember. He was the he I think was, he was the CEO, MGM. President, president of MGM. Yeah, MGM is now the uh he's new Larry Scott, commissioner of the Pac-12. What an interesting hire this is. It really is. I don't I mean, ultimately, the only job as a conference commissioner is to get your schools as much money as possible. So in that sense, maybe he's good, but at the same time, they already the Pac-12 already tried with Larry Scott doing the like screw athletics, we're going to go about this like a business. And instead of having the university presidents, we're going to call it like the CEO council or whatever the stupid name they call it. And we're going to share an office space in the building, the same building as the Twitter headquarters and spend more money than every other on office space than every other conference in the country combined. And all this stuff, like we're going to do our own. I actually think having the Pac-12 network, you know, trying to say we're going to do our own TV thing to have more of a rice. That's not the worst idea, but I think every, they were so arrogant in the way they went about it. That's why they got zero adoption, right? Like they were not like, I think they're still not on direct TV. So like most of the country doesn't have access to them. And so it's like, that's a major problem. And that ultimately falls on Larry Scott and he should have been fired years ago. But the I mean, this also is the guy who called a huge press conference to announce that he was giving himself a race. Um, so, but it's, I think in that regard, like maybe this is good, right? Cause things are changing, especially with name image, name image and likeness is coming to college sports in the next 12 to 24 months, whether you like it or not, the, you know, gambling is going to be legal in more States when you like it or not. And it's like, those two things are big, and that is where uh, Mr. Klyovkov has a good edge there comparatively to, say, you know, some random guy. Like, I mean, say, like if like a Tom Homo type who works like, yes, Tom Homo understands the business of running an athletic department, but, you know, at a larger scale, like there's a lot of nuanced things specifically around handling name, image, name, image, and likeness and, you know, sport gambling and portraying and working with those sports. That's a little different, right? Especially to make sense that, you know, the PAC 12 should probably move their headquarters to Vegas and they need to, they should probably move their championship game to Vegas. And, you know, there are some ties there, but I, it's different. It's way out of left field. It kind of feels like it was grasping at straws because they couldn't get someone who is kind of primed and ready, right? Like, you know, we talked about this a couple months or so ago, like what, is, you know, Jamie Zaninovich has done, you know, he raised the profile of the WCC. He has experience as a conference commissioner. He was already like the associate commissioner, or whatever the PAC 12, like they went with someone who kind of based on two things that are coming up has zero experience in everything else related to running a conference. And so that's why it's kind of weird to me and it may work out really well for them, or this could be a huge flop in the same way Larry Scott was. And I guess we'll find out. To me, it feels like the PAC 12, once again, trying to turn a, a sports, a college athletics conference into something that it's not. They are trying to turn it into a media brand and it's not. The SEC is not a media brand. They they rake in money from media rights. But the SEC is a sports football conference. And people in the media pay the SEC to watch that. They are not the SEC media company. 
that is paramount, right? Like they're not Fox. They're not, they're not out there creating fiction, creating stories. They are out there putting out a damn good football product. And that's what people want to see. It feels like the Pac-12 is once again, forgetting that they have to focus on their product. They can't create the company if they don't have a product to market. Here are some quotes uh, from, from Brother Going, of Kind of just touching on that really quick. It's kind of reminding me of what we are talking about earlier in the show of the connection to the schools, right? Like it's that spring football. Like this kind of feels like a very spring football approach, yeah. right? And, and Larry Scott was the same way, right? Like he, I mean, like Larry Scott, it was, he came and he was the commissioner or president or whatever of the Women's Tennis Association. And so it's kind of like, oh, we're going to take this and kind of went all about it as branding. And it was kind of the idea of, well, we don't have the pat, the grassroots passion that the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 do and the ACC do. Well, the old ACC schools, not the newer ones that they recently added, but the, and so we are going to go heavy into branding and we are going to market the hell out of this. And that will create, like, we are going to manufacture this grassroots thing and make it, and it just didn't work. And it kind of feels like this is, again, another spring football approach to it. Here are some quotes from, from George Klyovkov uh, from his introductory press conference today uh, on if the Pac-12 network fits into the conference's long-term media strategy, or long-term strategy, not media strategy. He said, I also think about media rights in the Pac-12 network as being a small slice of the media rights that we can create and distribute. There are some very obvious things and perhaps not so obvious ideas to optimize the revenue from distribution of our content and slicing and dicing that content. It's candidly what I've done in many of my previous roles with great success. But just to be clear, I'm not going to get into those ideas before we before doing the work to validate them. I don't dispute that. Like there's absolutely some creative things that you can do, but if you don't have the product, nobody cares. And it feels like that is what the PAC 12 is missing. Now they asked him some, some very specific football questions on his preferred format for the college football playoff. We're now 10 years into the college football playoff, 10 years, seven years, something like that. We're now, everybody has seen it. Everybody knows what it's like. He's, he's been over MGM entertainment. He's fully aware of sports betting. That's one of the things that people are, are touting is something that he could potentially bring to the table. He knows all about the college football playoff. So on his preferred format for the college football playoff in the future, he said, I don't have a preferred format until I do the work necessary to understand the options. How do you not have a preferred form? Like literally every every fan on the planet is everyone is opining. You don't have to think about the options. You just go look on Reddit CFB and you're gonna find plenty of options of "Hmm, we can think about this. I think everyone and their dog is basically the masses are okay with the expanded to eight, five P5 champs, top G group of five and two at large. I think everybody if, if that came out, everyone would be like, okay, that's cool. Maybe not what they would ideally want but they'd be okay with it right like it's not i look at this 
No, you don't. And he, I'll read the rest of the quote. I am ahead of this particular opportunity because of what's going on at the NCAA. With respect to looking at the college, the college playoffs and the expansion and the reports that we've seen uh, out of the CFP that things are being considered even as early as a June announcement. So while I don't start until July 1st, I was very clear with the presidents and chancellors that I want to make sure our position that the CFP should be expanded was clear even before my first day on the job. So he does kind of allude to wanting expansion. Like that's fair. But I, I, I thought that was interesting that here he is brand new day, the entire, like there's no news happening in college football world. He has a conference. He just took the job of a conference that is desperate for a national championship and one of the, and he talked about that later in his press conference, how long it has been since the PAC 12 has won a national championship in football or men's basketball. So he knows how desperate that conference is and how badly they need it. And there with all eyes on him, he had an opportunity to fight for his conference that has been on the outside looking in what six out of seven years of the existence of the college football playoff. And he said he does not have a preferred format. He doesn't that have preferred was shocking. He doesn't have preferred format. And, but then it also at the same time, it needs to expand, which is kind of like, I don't know. You yeah. got a format. Uh, right. And then the other thing you, you, you mentioned Las Vegas and where they should relocate. Uh, somebody asked him about that, just about the PAC 12's relationship with Las Vegas and how he sees it evolving, kind of alluding to the fact that, Hey, could the PAC 12 relocate? And he answered, I want to be clear. I am with my family relocating to San Francisco and will be working full-time in San Francisco. Uh, and that's probably company line a little bit. Of course, he's not going to move it on day one, uh, but you don't move your family if you're thinking of uh, moving it to Las Vegas in six months or even 12 months, maybe. Uh, so um, I, I, I wonder if, you know, and I don't know, I don't claim to be a PAC 12 guru. I wonder if the commissioner of the PAC 12 is a little bit of like the commissioner of the NFL, right? Like Roger Goodell, he does his own thing sometimes, but there are other times that it is very clear he is doing exactly what the 32 NFL owners tell him to do. Right. I wonder how much of the Pac-12 commissioner is that same thing. Like you do exactly what the uh, school presidents and chancellors say to do. And those school presidents and chancellors do not care about football. Like it's different than the SEC. Greg Sankey, he can he can follow the direction of all of the ADs of the SEC, all of the school presidents of the SEC. And football is, if not one, the second highest priority of all of those university presidents. That's not the case at Stanford or Berkeley or UCLA. And I wonder how much of it is just, hey, these these presidents, hey, just don't screw up you know, get out of our way. Let us run our academic prestigious schools and just don't embarrass us. I wonder how, I, I wonder if his hands are tied kind of how BYU fans assume like Tom Homo's hands are tied a lot of the time because of the church. Does, does the PAC 12 academic body tie the hands of the conference commissioner because maybe he wants to do crazy football things, but he can't. Maybe he wants to move out of San Francisco, but no way Berkeley or Stanford or some of those Northern California schools are going to allow that. I don't know. I'm just there. Maybe I think it's stupid. 
uh, you know, right? Like it's the sport should basically run and be their own thing, which I think it's stupid that it's so tied and they're like, oh, we care about the academics, like the academic prestige of the Big Ten being the most complete conference because we are not the SEC. That is just a bunch of hillbillies that only care about sports. Like we are so educated and are such these upper tier universities like Northwestern and Purdue and Ohio state and Michigan. Like I don't, I've never understood why academics are such a big thing, right? I guess it all kind of plays back into the idea of like, you are a student athlete and you are a student and it is not like you are not putting more time into this than most people put into their full-time jobs and their careers, right? And just, you know, and tearing up your body for this. And so it's always kind of been weird, but it's probably true, right? Like it's, you know, and maybe the, that was why Larry Scott wanted to call it the CEO council or president, you know, instead of, and call them CEOs instead of presidents to try to be like, get them at least prime the pump to think more of like a, think more like a business rather than, you know, thinking of it as an academic conference that happens to play sports, which is kind of the way most other sports do, or most other conferences are approached. Um, but moving on for that, we do have some BYU recruiting news. And we, we have three. So Jaron Kalama, the commit out of, we talked about him on when did he commit maybe two months ago now, Yeah, three um, months ago out of Wasatch. We talked about, he went from Hawaii to up to Wasatch when Hawaii canceled their season just a great athlete, a good body. He's fast and can fit in much different positions. He finally got rated and came in as an 86 by 24 seven, which is good. So that's the high end of a three-star, um, right? Cause the three stars like 82 to where's the kind of like 88, three stars, 80, 80 to 89 is the three stars. Oh, it's anywhere so in the eighties. He's on the high, like mid, a low, high, high, mid, mid, mid to high. Whatever. Yeah. He, he's a medium high heat. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> He's a, <laughs> right on the stove, but, uh, and so I think it's very fitting for him just in terms of raw talent where it's, you know, he can, pro- he has the body in a frame that projects well to the next level and has the raw athletic ability to do things in multiple different positions. So I think it's a very fitting thing. I think the surprising thing to me though, was that Micah Kafusi got the same rating. Micah Kafusi is going to be interesting to watch this year at Alta, uh, Micah, Kafusi's the little brother of Isaiah and Jackson Kafusi. He is sort of cousin of Bronson Corbin and Devin Kafusi. Uh, so he doesn't have the same, you know, the Steve Kafusi gene, or, or maybe it's Michelle, whoever, whoever uh, provided Bronson Corbin and Devin the gene that makes them all like six, nine giants. He doesn't have that Kafusi gene. He has the gene that makes outside linebackers like, uh, like Jackson and Isaiah were. He, Micah, was hurt pretty well all of last year. I think he broke a like a collarbone. So like something that knocks you out for the year, but not anything you're going to worry about long term. Uh, and, and he didn't get to play. And so he he was hardly seen. And then with the camp circuits and everything being shut down last spring, like you really, nobody really got their eyes on Micah Kafusi. Uh, over the course of the last month or, you know, month and a half, he's gone to a number of camps. There's, there's been some camps here locally. There's been some camps in, in, uh, in Vegas and in, in California, in Mesquite. I mean, there's been a handful of camps over the course of the last few weeks. And uh, 24-7 has had Blair Angulo, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins. They've all been there covering those camps. And Micah Kafusi has apparently showed really, really, really well in those camps to the point 
that uh, Blair Angulo is calling Micah Kafusi a, uh, I want to read the quote, it, uh, it appears that the Cougars are getting a major steal in this 2022 class. Uh, so big, I think uh, an 86 is a big time uh, rating for him. I, if we go back and you look at like some of the, uh, some of the, the linebackers of, of classes in the past, um, I'm going to pull up, Tate Romney comes to mind. Tate Romney's 24-7 sports rating was an 85. And so both Kalama and Micah Kafusi have a higher rating than Tate Romney did. And, and Isaiah's, Isaiah's was the 76 and Jackson's was the 79. Yeah, I mean, so these guys showed something on, on I guess, on the, the, the camp circuit that uh, really caught the eyes of our evaluators. That's a big deal, man. I mean, like I say, Tate Romney... Uh, he had an impressive offer list. He had Arizona, Cal, Colorado, Kansas State, uh, but he never uh, he never could crack above an 85. Kalama has an offer from BYU. I think maybe Utah State offered. Kafusi was talking to some P5 schools, but really only had a BYU offer and maybe some Ivy League schools. But it kind of goes to show how difficult things are right now for these kids and for colleges. With the dead period that has been going on, and finally will get lifted on June 1st, but we are in month 15 of a dead period. These these schools can't evaluate. Like, they just can't. They have not been able to see these guys in person. It's very possible that if they were able to go to Wasatch High School and evaluate Jaron Kalama, that he has an offer list that is more impressive than Tate Romney's was. But they couldn't. They didn't get to see him. They didn't get to put their eyes on him. And so they don't know. And uh, it's interesting. It could benefit BYU. It looks like it will benefit BYU, assuming these two stick. But kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting, like, I guess, event that both of those two got ratings updates to an 86. BYU also extended an offer uh, to American Leadership Academies. Brooks Jones, uh, when was that? Yesterday? Brooks yes. Jones hasn't really played a whole lot of football. He's been a basketball player. He's 6'6". Uh, the staff is hoping that he will emerge and develop into a defensive end. I think he's a great athlete. Like, I, I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm going to have an opinion here about this. I, I think Brooks Jones could de- can develop into a very good player. He's got the frame. He's got some athleticism. His brother was kind of the same way. He's the little brother of Dean Jones, who's, who's going to compete for a spot on the two deep at the safety position this year. That Dean Jones didn't play football until late either, right? Like he, he was a rodeo guy and he didn't start playing football until his junior year. And when Dean Jones got his offer, I was pumped about it because BYU had the scholarship capital at the time. And it, it was a very high upside flyer. What I don't like about the Brooks Jones offer has nothing to do with Brooks Jones. It has everything to do with BYU has, we've talked about it, 10, 12, maybe 13, maybe 15 scholarships to give out this year. It's going to be a very small class, even smaller than last year's class, which was very, very small. They just came off of an 11 and one season and a number 11 national ranking. When you only have 10 to 15 scholarships to give away, and you're coming off a season that was as successful as BYU's 2020 season was, I have a hard time taking flyers on developmental athletes. 
Yeah. It's, not, not to say that you can't, right? Like BYU might have to fill out those, uh, fill out their class with flyers. I guess I should add, I have a hard time taking flyers in May. If you, if you have the extra spot and it's December, go ahead, take the flyer. It's May. There's a lot of football left. The only thing I can possibly think of is, and I don't even know how we ended up on him. Well, actually, I don't know which, which ALA campus is he on? Um, he's wherever Detmer and uh, Max Howell are at. Oh, so he's at the Queen Creek. Oh, yeah. He's at the Queen Creek campus. So, you know, the only thing I can think of is it's like Detmer and Hall convinced him to go, like, they convinced him to come out and play on the football team. He's a good athlete. It's a very, very soft offer that's not very committable. And they just want to get the foot in the door early. Should he happen to be something? But, maybe three games into this season that he plays this year, it will be like, okay, maybe we're not going to keep this offer on the table there. I would be, I would be shocked if uh, Brooks Jones is not part of this class. I'll say it like that. I think that this offer, if in fact he hasn't said anything and I don't know anything. uh, So I'm speculating. I think he, probably committed on the spot just knowing what i know about dean jones and how his recruitment went i would bet that brooks jones committed on the spot that's just a hunch based on i've been covering recruiting for 10 years it's just a hunch that yeah well i mean it'll be interesting to see though if that commitment is honored or if it's you know you may come around november see one of those uh who is that uh, receiver from like a Kemani Martin type? Where yeah, it could the break, be. The breakup tweet of I've decided to open up my options, but really it's the school <laughs> opening up their it options. It could be. And like I say, guys, like Brooks Jones might be great. This really isn't about him. Uh, this is about you just have you only have 10, 12 scholarships. There are guys that want to come to BYU. Like there are guys that could come to BYU that you maybe got to fight for a little bit. And there are positions outside of defensive end that are bigger needs. Like the, the defensive end pipeline has a lot of bodies in it now, especially after last year with Logan Bono, John Henry Daly, Enoka Miguel. Like there's, there's some bodies at the defensive end position. I just don't know if a flyer mid-May matters right now. I, it feels too early to me. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like I say, if you would have asked me in the class, well, and people did class of 2015, I thought the Brady Christensen offer was the worst a late offer to a plan D guy that was 240 pounds. I, I didn't think it made any sense at all. I very, very quickly knew that I was wrong after he got on campus. Like it didn't take me more than one conversation with a coach to know that I was dead wrong. So I've been wrong a lot. Like I am not saying anything and maybe Brooks Jones is great. I hope he is. I think he's a, like I say, I think he's a a, a spectacular athlete. I just don't know that BYU is in a position that they should be taking flyers right now. Right. And it's especially, you know, he has LDS. He's the kind of guy that you could, you know, get as a preferred walk on and give him a scholarship, right. You know, you can get him in the program in other ways. Um, The, so I, I, I got, I, I mean, I, I'm still, I'm looking at a guy like Aaron Jones, 
Aaron Jones, the son of uh, uh, of a BYU for, former BYU player, and has a, a handful of offers, mostly Mountain West schools. He's an athlete, probably a, a defensive back. I don't know that BYU is going to end up having room for him. I don't know if he would come or not, but I I think that a guy like Aaron Jones, I would take ahead of of Brooks Jones. Cal Hansen is very similar to Brooks Jones in that he is 6'4", 200 pounds, so not quite as tall, but he's kind of got that outside linebacker, maybe grows into a defensive end. I think he's great. He's really, really good at Lone Peak. And he's, I think he's got an offer from Utah State. I think he's going to pick up a few more offers along the way. I think Brooks Jones probably takes the spot that would have gone to a Cal Hansen. Uh, it's just really tough for me as I look through the state of Utah and, and you make the, you know, Dallas, excuse me, Braxton Feely, defensive tackle, doesn't play the same position. But Braxton Feely is a guy who, who I think was on the fringe of this class, that if they had an extra scholarship, they accept a commitment from Braxton Feely. I don't know that Braxton Feely, if he calls BYU tonight and says, guys, I'm all in, I want to commit, I don't think they have room at the defensive line spot because they just gave a scholarship to Brooks Jones. Braxton Feely, he's not a five-star kid, right? Like he's not a home run either, but he's got offers from a handful of Mountain West schools. He's got tape of him on the football field doing football things. It concerns me that Brooks Jones, assuming he's committed, like I say, like a, I, I, it's a hunch. It's not based on anything else. I, it concerns me that they would take a commitment from Brooks Jones ahead of some of these other guys. It just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't add up to me. And then the last thing that I'll say about this Preston Hadley has never coached defensive ends. He's going to be able to do it. Like he's going to figure it out. He might be great, but one of the first offers that he extended is to a guy who has very little football experience is just, and is just a great athlete. So Preston Hadley, who has never played defensive end nor coached defensive ends is going to take a basketball player and turn him into a difference making defensive end. And he's so sure of that, that he's willing to allocate one of 12 spots in this class to that player. I don't know. There's just, none of this has anything to do with Brooks Jones, but there's a lot of red flags to me. Yes, I agree 100%. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I hope, I hope, hope, hope he proves this all wrong. And this could be the kind of thing that really comes back to bite Preston Hadley down the line, right? Like it's, and you know, we taught or, Kalani kind of mentioned this, or I know Kalani said this to Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson talked about this on an interview he did with the 24 seven recruiting podcast before leading up to the draft where, you know, Kalani initially offered Zach Wilson as a safety and said, you know, I'll, I'll take him as a safety, but I'm letting Ty Detmer handle the quarterback scholarships because I trusting him. And then, you know, after Detmer was let go, he kind of called Mike and was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Like I was trying to be a good leader and, let my people work. And it kind of feels like one of those situations. And if Preston Hadley wants to stake his name on Brooks Jones, then the defensive ends better play really dang good. Otherwise this may come back to bite Preston Hadley. And it's a bummer. I I hope Brooks Jones is great. 
uh, I haven't had the chance to talk to him yet. I, you know, I got to know Dean Jones a little bit. Dean Jones was awesome. And I think Dean Jones could be a difference maker and maybe Brooks Jones follows that same, that same path. It just feels early. It feels really early. BYU extended another offer uh, to a 2022 junior college defensive back, Keontae Scott out of snow, who, what was that? Like three days ago that he got the offer from BYU and he has since picked up offers from San Diego state tonight. Uh, Coach prime at Jackson state, uh, Oregon state. I mean, he, he's starting to blow up a little bit now. I like BYU's chances. He's uh, childhood friends with Miles Davis. He's visited Miles at uh, BYU several times. He's friends with Micah Harper. He's friends with uh, Cody Epps. Um, I like BYU's chances here. I talked to one of the coaches at Snow. They think BYU stands, you know, has a really, really good chance. If a school in the Pac-12 that isn't Oregon State, you know, one of the California schools were to come in, BYU's done. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe it does. But if that doesn't happen, I think BYU is uh, just sitting in a really good spot for a very good cover corner. So Keontae Scott makes all the sense in the world. Uh, definitely catapulting to the top of the important list for the class of 2022. Yeah. And kind of going back to 2021, um, you mentioned kind of earlier that you think we're going to be looking at a transfer offensive line. I know that at one point, we did have an offer out to a New Mexico state guard who was in the portal. Um, what was his name? Jalen Guerrero. I think his name was. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he committed to Fresno state tonight. Sounds like that offer um, after some more due diligence, kind of both sides realized it wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, and so that didn't get much progress on that front. Um, who else do you know of anybody else that is on the offensive line radar as a potential late ad for 2021? Not names, but I know that they are looking, uh, they are actively looking in the transfer portal for an offensive tackle. Um, I think that there's really only two that people are confident with right now, and that's Harris, the chance of break Blake Freeland. Those two are going to be your starters, whether they, whoever starts right, left, whatever, they'll figure that out. Those two are your starters. If one of them goes down, it's a whole lot of unknown. And I think that this staff is going to diligently find one more addition to the, the offensive line room. And I think they're going to do it out of the transfer portal. I guess they could maybe look Juco and find some late Juco ads now that that season is wrapping up, but I, I would expect a transfer portal guy. Uh, Jalen Guerrero, you're right. Committed to Fresno. It's sometimes it's hard. I think that people who don't follow recruiting, you assume that when a when a school offers a player that all due diligence is done and they they really really want that guy, and maybe that was the case ten or fifteen years ago, but but nowadays an offer is almost like a qualifier, like you you don't get to have a conversation with a recruit unless you're willing to say hey yeah come play for us here's your scholarship offer. If that kid were to say okay I'm in I want to commit right now most of the time it's not accepted right like uh, offers when offer tweets go out, like there's a whole lot of unknown when that goes out. Um, if you go and you scour Jalen Guerrero's Twitter feed today, you won't find the tweet about the BYU offer that went out. Uh, I talked with him. He was very blunt, very kind uh, that BYU pulled his offer. And so what that means, BYU extended an offer four or five days ago and pulled it that quickly. Usually that means something came up in due diligence, whether that be BYU found something out whether that be Jalen found something out about BYU and he just said, Hey guys, now this isn't going to be a fit. 
and BYU said, okay, fine. Then, you know what, your offer's gone. So you can't change your mind. There's, there's a lot of different scenarios and it doesn't matter what it was, but yeah, that, that offer went out and then the due diligence process started and, and one party ended up saying no. And uh, yeah, he, he went to, went as far as, which I, you don't see very often, he went as far as deleting the tweet and like not even claiming that the BYU offer ever existed, which was a little surprising to me, but good luck to him at Fresno. Very, very nice kid. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what most kids do, right? Like most kids say they got way more offers than they actually did. So he's kind of, yeah. you know, props to him for going in the other direction, going against the grain on that one. Um, that's kind of it on the recruiting front. Uh, we have a couple more items here on the agenda, but I want to inject one thing, this quote, from Coach Saleh, who I don't know if you saw this yet, but on the Rich Eisen asked in an interview with the Jets head coach, what about Zach Wilson makes you think he's ready for what's coming? And Coach Saleh said, I think he's been preparing for this his whole life. I know it's not the stage New York is, but BYU is all there is out in Utah and all eyes are on that program. hey <laughs> So obviously... That is great for multiple reasons. One, the amount of confidence in Zach Wilson. And two, the subtle dig at the non-existence of the other four football programs in the state. I mean, it almost almost ties in with what we were saying, though, earlier, that, like, we're BYU fans here. You know, we we also said Utah fans. Coach Sala doesn't believe that. Like, you're BYU fans here. That's all there is to do. It's all anybody talks about. That's all that matters. Yep. The uh, I thought that was very funny. Um, that is funny. I got to write an article about that because that is that is uh, that is what we call clickbait in the biz, and that will be very good clickbait. That is it's that is clickbaity. Um, the so you also mentioned that you are so in the off season ready mode that you've already mm. ordered Athlon. I, are you always an I Athlon did. guy or you're a Phil Steele guy or maybe I order all of them with the street and Smith. I, I get them all Lindy's street and Smith pick six previews uh, PFFs. I'll pay for this year. I, I, I mean, in fairness, I do get uh, a little bit of a discount being a member of the football writers association of America. So I'm not paying, you know, check stand price on all of these, but I just like them. I like to have them. I like to collect them. And Athlon, Athlon's been trying to like, I think Athlon realizes that they are falling behind some of these other ones. Like they've always been behind Phil Still. And I got some takes on Phil Still here in a minute, but they've always, they've always fallen behind Phil Still, but they've kind of been that second tier right there, like Athlon and kind of Lindy's. But now as these other guys are popping, up like pff and pick six previews and some of these other ones that are better athlon is taking the approach of rather than making their product better they're just gonna have the same iffy product faster so they are already releasing i, I think it hits check stands on uh, like the 22nd of this month which feels like insanely early for a college football preview magazine but yeah i mean athlon is coming so i ordered mine already uh we're here i mean we are to that point where uh college football preview magazine season it's i need to order mine i didn't know that we got a uh, discount with the our football writers association 
Yeah, some of them do, some of them don't. I can't remember which ones do. I like Phil Still. I know you get for cheaper. Um, I think you get the Street and Smith or Lindy's. I can't remember. And then I've also just made contacts with some of these other ones that that sent me a copy. Uh, Phil Still, though, he is renowned as the. Is he the expert? I don't know what he is. He, I mean, he's renowned for using size six font to save on paper cost. <laughs> well, he does that, and he jam packs all of his magazines with information. I have no doubt. Like, Phil Still is one of the magazines that I look forward to the most every year. I don't get it. Like the the lure of Phil Still though has worn off on me entirely. There is nothing in his magazines for all of the work that he spends on it and all of the coaches that he talks to all of the time. And he'll tell you all about it every year. He tells you exactly how many hours go into his magazine and other media members just like lot over him and how great he is and how great this magazine is. I don't get it. Like you don't really learn unless you know nothing about your team he doesn't really do it. He jam packs all this information. He'll talk this year in BYU's 2021 preview. He'll talk about Tanner Mangum. Like he'll have two or three sentences about what Tanner Mangum did in 2017 and 2018. And then he'll talk about Zach Wilson. Like it's not information that matters. Right. And so for he'll, he tweets it out. Like, thank you to coach whoever for spending two hours with me. He tweets it out nonstop every day throughout most of the spring. I don't know what he's learning from these coaches in these hour long conversations, because I don't know that it manifests itself in the magazine. And this might be blasphemy. Maybe I'm way off. Maybe it's because we had a false start to begin the show and it's a Thursday. So we're a day late and uh, we're a little bit grumpy and I'm just being extra negative towards our guy. Phil still, but I don't get it, man. The, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it seems to me like I haven't gotten a Phil Still magazine for a couple of years because it's it has the quality has gone downhill and it's just not not the same as what it used to be, and it's kind of it's a stretch, right? Like it's you know it, the quality is not as good as it used to be, and the content is, is kind that, of all it, over the place. Like it's kind of like okay, you've made your thing of having the most information ever. Right. It's like we have the most information ever and we've got all this stuff crammed in here. But like you said, it's like it's all a lot of it is words for the sake of having words and doesn't really tell me a whole lot. Right. Is it is it that the quality went down or did other people just start doing a better job? Because it feels pretty consistent with what it's always been. But nowadays it's like, man, like how many Internet sites like get a 24 seven sports membership and you will learn more about every college football team in the country than Phil still could ever dream of telling. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe that's not a fair comparison, but uh, like the PFF preview, I'll I'll take PFFs preview a hundred times out of 100 over Phil stills, the pick six preview guy, like his is different. Uh, We we've had him on the show, Brett Ciancia. His is, uh, it's a little different. It's a PDF. You don't get a hard magazine and, but the, the data that he gives you, it's less, there's less words, there's less data, but the data that he gives you, you actually care about 
when your team kicks off on September 4th, where Phil still just gives you a bunch of fluff. I don't know, man. Uh, I, and I, I guess I also don't understand the love affair that the media, that other media members give him. Like it's, I think it's because he's just been around for so long that a lot of maybe. media members, it's kind of like, we got to, you know, you kind of got to suck up to feel still a little bit because he's the guy that was there. And so it's like, he can he's get a you in super the, nice guy. He can get you in the door. Yeah. Okay. It's easy to suck up to him too. Like it's easy to want to build his ego because he did, man. I mean, he did it from the, the ground up. Like he was doing it in his house when nobody else was, he's a legend. Like I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from him. He's a legend, but I just feel like in 2021, he's a relic a little bit, you know, like lightning McQueen was great. I have two toddler aged to sons. Lightning McQueen was great. But Jackson Storm was dope. And I feel like Bill Steele is Lightning McQueen. Did um, you see Cars 3? I have seen Cars 3. And How lame is it that Lightning McQueen quits? It really is lame. There's like, I mean, I don't even remember if I finished Cars 3 because it was so dumb. It wasn't as dumb Ugh, as Planes, like- but it was dumb. It was dumb. He quit, man. Like the big race, he's working hard, and Jackson Storm is still killing him. So he turns to Cruz Ramirez, and that's fine. Like, I like Cruz, whatever. She's great, but Lightning quits. What kind of message is that? What a terrible message. What a loser car. Owen Wilson sucks. That's where I'm at. Hey, we before we wrap up, we did get a request and you, I think maybe intentionally left it off the agenda because I don't know if you're equipped to talk about this. Uh, I know that this but is coming. Are, I was thinking this was more of an intro topic. And since our intro kind of died, that's why I didn't go uh, into it. That could be. Well, we are, we are men of the people and the people asked specifically, I was very bluntly told they did not want to hear my opinion at all. They want to hear, your opinion on crypto and the future of crypto. So in, in let's 60 seconds or less, give me your opinion on crypto and the future of crypto. I'm going to give you mine and I don't care if you people want it or not. I think Cardano and XRP are going to end up making a big splash because of all of this attention on the carbon footprint of mining crypto. And they are the most carbon friendly cryptocurrencies. I don't think XRP, but we can talk about that. But I think they got to recover from their lawsuits. I mean, they're getting investigated by the SEC, so that's not good. Yeah, it's fine. Cardano. Cardano The SEC looked at. They're looking at everything. Cardano has to show me something first, um, right? Because they, until they kind of show me that they will be more than a white paper and actually release something on time. They're like three years behind their initial schedule that they put out. So crypto in general, it's not going anywhere, people, right? Like it is it is the future, whether you like it or not. Right now, there are, is more tied up in cryptocurrency than the total amount of US dollars in circulation. So it is like, it is too big to fail, meaning it's like it's some... In some way, shape, or form, it will continue to expand, especially if the Federal Reserve 
is printing money left and right. Bad coin. Yes. And it's people will want to hide things, especially as things become more and more global. People will want a global currency of sorts that is completely disjointed, um, you know, from centralized things that can mess with the price. Um, I do not think long-term the, I do not think, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I don't think it will be Bitcoin because partially because of the carbon footprint issue, um, the transaction costs, you know, Bitcoin, was the original idea, right? Like it, it's still the biggest one, but it wasn't even like a 1.0. It was a like 0.0.0.1 iteration. Yeah. And it's still the biggest one, but there are the carbon, for, like it just is too expensive to mine. It's too, it can't process the volume of transactions. And that's why I think I'm the most long-term on Ethereum. Um, and I know Cardano is started by one of the Ethereum founders trying to fix everything that's wrong with Ethereum, but the Ethereum 2.0, roadmap is going and they've already started doing things. And so they will be moving away from having the mining feature, um, you know, that is expensive and moving to a proof of stake, similar to what Cardano and XRP and some other coins put out there. Um, but Ethereum can be the way that it's set up can be used for so much more like all of the NFTs, like you hear that buzzword NFT or the NBA mm -hmm. top shot thing, like those digital trading cards, all of that is run on Ethereum because it is a, it's not just a coin. It is an entire infrastructure and an ecosystem that moves beyond just simple, here's some random money, go buy a pizza. Right. And so it's, I think in general, cryptocurrency is not going away. And I'm most intrigued of finding out especially with the privacy factor of it, like what is going to happen, right? In terms of taxation, like how are things going to get paid? If I can get paid under the table in crypto and there's no paper trail that can tie it back to me, you can bet your butt that a lot of people are going to start figuring out how to get paid that way. You know, are borders going to change? Like if I don't, you know, if I can get paid in crypto, do I care what country I live in, right? Can I... Um, do I care what country I live in? Can I move somewhere else and just get paid digitally that way? And I can go wherever I want to. If people are accepting crypto, I don't deal with exchange rates. I can just go where money's, you know, where I can buy the most. Like it's, there's so many things like new problems, well, not problems. It's just new things that get introduced that will be really intriguing to see how kind of regulations and governments react to it because you can't just ban it. It is literally impossible to ban it and make it go away. So like, there's no way to stop it unless you got rid of the internet, it is impossible to make it go away. So how are people going to react to that? And from a regulatory standpoint is what will be the most fascinating thing. Now, there it is. There it is. Uh, what the people wanted. Garrett's take on crypto, not Jeff's. You know, you know who you are that specifically said, you don't want to hear mine and uh, you can shove it. That's, that's what I got to say to you. And I know you'll listen and I know you'll continue to listen even with this insult, but uh, yeah, shove it. So I feel. And with that, shove Jeff, it's a very nineties thing, but yeah, shove it. Did the nineties, everything nineties making a comeback. So yeah. with that, Jeff, it's been a good episode. And until next week, give them hell, give them hell. <laughs>